Welcome, folks, back to another episode of From Pain to Purpose. Today, we got uh, John Barsness on the hot seat. I'd like you to start with one thing which I've heard both sides um, said, which is you should have like be in very constant contact with your customer and be really open book. And then the other school of thought is they've hired me to do a job. All they care about is making sure the job gets done. Um, how do you balance those two frameworks or, or I guess, you know, schools of thought and then, yeah, maybe start there. Yeah, yeah it is the age old question. I think in, in, in anytime you're dealing with customers versus employees, there is a different dynamic, right? Every business that's a for-profit business and even nonprofits for that matter, but certainly for for-profit businesses, there you're in it to make money. You have to. That's how you continue to have sustainable business. And so you need customers in order to do that. You need happy customers in order to do that successfully long term. But I think it starts really with the type of client that you are hoping to attract. So if you are constantly going after business, that their only concern is to, I'm paying you to do a service. I need you to do it as cheap and as fast as possible. But your model and your philosophy of business is around quality, building relationships. We're not going to be the cheapest uh, client uh, contractor for in our case as a, as a general contractor. We're not going to be the cheapest contractor in, in the industry. We're also not going to be necessarily at the high end of every uh, of every project. But if our if our goal is to be have high quality, easy to work with, we're going to have a fair price. Then those clients that are looking for it to be fast, they don't care about as quality as much as they as they want, um, and it, and they view this as a transactional relationship. If we're constantly going after that, we're always going to be frustrated because they're going to expect things that we're not willing to do, which is to drop down our standards or they're going to be frustrated with us because we're going to we're, they're going to keep pushing on price with us all the time. So I think it starts with that philosophy and that strategy around it. Now again, it doesn't mean it's easy. You still have to you have to work really hard if you're going to do that because quite frankly, it's not as difficult from a sales organization perspective to go after the lowest hanging fruit because it's always there. It's really hard to be very clear about what you're trying to do and what you want to value. And really work hard at that so that you don't have to default to picking up business you don't want to do. So I think it starts there. But then I think you have to be able to to have honest conversations on the front end. Understand what the value that they're looking for is. Doesn't mean in our organization that we don't take business with clients that that quality may not be as important in the sense that they're, they're, they want you to complete the project. They want you to do it as at a, to do it as well as possible, but they're not expecting perfection. There's a difference in that conversation with a client like that than there is with that client that doesn't care at all about it, and they just want you to to come in and drop your pricing to the point where it makes sense financially for them only. I would tell you that in most cases, when when that when it's when it's the race to the bottom of pricing, those are the same clients though that will expect you to do way more than what you're what they're paying you for, and so what you need to do is find those clients that are willing to and value what you what you offer, and when they don't, you have to be willing to walk away. When I owned my own business, this was a big challenge, and early in my career, and when I was building the business, 
there were times I had to take business I didn't want to take because I needed the revenue and I needed to be able to pay my employees and all those things that were real as a startup organization. But once I started to really hone in on what our value proposition was to our clients, that's when the business took off. And that's when we made uh, more profitability. We had more revenue. We were able to grow and expand and eventually sell to a much larger competitor because we were very critical about what we were going after. And we said more, we said no to more business opportunities than we said yes to. Mm -hmm. And we still made more revenue. Again, not easy. I don't claim it to be easy. It was really hard. And there were some lean times in getting to that point. But it was the right decision for our business. And I would argue it's the right business. It's the right strategy for any business if you're true to who you want to be as an organization. So think about this from a from an employee standpoint. If what we're saying to our employees is we care about safety, we care about uh, quality work, whether it's service or product, we want to have value add to our clients. And the only clients you're bringing to, into the organization where people are either providing a service or uh, a product is they don't care about those things. What do you think that's going to do to your culture, right? I mean, it's you can't ask employees to do mm. all of these things and then not have a client base that's actually going to marry up with that. Right. It just isn't it, it, it's it's a recipe for disaster uh, or they're going to be waiting around to for for work. And there's nothing there because nobody that you're going after actually values what you're trying to bring them. So in either case, you're in a difficult spot. But I do think it starts with that that philosophy. And then it really goes down to those conversations. Just don't lie to your clients. Like if you can't do the work, you can't do the work. There's nothing wrong with that. Like we've had more opportunities to to gain market share with clients or in our industry because we're willing to say, you know what, based on what you're telling us, I don't think we can do this as the, the way you want us to, but call us if that changes. Lo and behold, more times than not, it may be three, five years later, those same clients are coming back to us. You know, we have a lot of clients that they make two or three year uh, agreements to, to uh, upgrade their facilities, whether it's renovation, remodel, or repainting. And there are times when we lose contracts uh, in that first, as we're getting ready to do a, a multi-year bid. There's also been just as many opportunities there that have come back to us in the next two or three year cycle because they went cheap. They, they went to the lowest uh, bid and the quality was terrible. And so they come back and say, hey, we made a mistake or, you know, we've reevaluated, re usually is what they say, is we've reevaluated our priorities and now we are in the game again. And so uh, to me, that's what you have to be able to have the discipline around doing. Again, it becomes really hard. It's not easy to do that, but it also builds your character and your culture because your people are aligned with that. I've never really thought about it like that, but that makes so much sense that when you build a culture... Like you have to find the the right marriage for your company or your, for your uh, for your customers. That um, so, which then makes it easier to build a relationship because they value the relationship, and you, then conflict is easier because you've been having those intermittent conversations, and it's not just I've hired you to do a job. Don't talk to me until it's done. Yeah, I think I think the you know. When you talk about these these brand ambassador companies, these companies that everybody knows who they are, whether you like them or not, right? They're, think about Apple. Apple has its greatest fans and they love everything about Apple. And then there are people who absolutely despise any of their products. But everybody knows who Apple is. 
there are there are companies like that. And again, they are attracting the people they want to attract. Mm-hmm. They're they're going after consumers that value what they offer, and they're okay with a whole group of people. Sure, they would love everybody to love their product, but they're not going to shape their product for the people who are never going to buy one of their products. And so I think that's the same mentality that companies can have. I think of a, a iconic restaurant uh, uh, chain of Chick-fil-A. You can agree or disagree with their philosophy on business, their positions in other areas, but have you ever watched on a Saturday or a Monday at a Chick-fil-A? They are, they are never open on Sundays. That has been the hallmark for them for years. If you're in a location that has a Chick-fil-A, I, I challenge you to, to drive by there on a Saturday or a Monday. They are packed because people love their food. Now, are they any necessarily different than all the other chicken companies out there that are doing chicken sandwiches? Again, their fans would say absolutely. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not the expert in that. What I can tell you is there is so much brand awareness and there is so much loyalty to that brand that that's why they have this pent-up demand on the two days of the week that that sandwich, no pun intended, they're uh, the day that nobody is there. Mm-hmm. They also have the least amount of stores across the country, and they're still one of the top producing by store revenues of quick serve in the industry. So there are places like McDonald's and Burger King and others that have way more uh, locations and are open seven days a week, and they don't do any kind of revenue near what Chick-fil-A does. Now, again, you can agree or disagree with their food product or their philosophy on business, but you can't argue the results. And that and and part of that is if you've ever gone into a a, a Chick-fil-A, again, I would argue that in in 99.9% of those locations, you're going to meet somebody who's got a smile on their face and they're going to say, "How can I serve you?" And they genuinely mean it. And so it's it, it's it's part and parcel to what they're what they try to do. They're hiring people in the same areas that the other fast food or quick serve uh, restaurants are doing, and yet why is why is that so different, right? Why is that experience so different? It's because that's how they have their as their foundation. It's what matters to them more than than profitability. Now again, they're a for profit company. They want to make money, but they're not going to be fixated on that. I would venture to guess they don't hear, their employees don't hear that very often. Their franchise owners are probably not saying that to their employees every day. Where I would venture to guess other organizations are doing the same, doing it very differently. And so people go, well, great, you're making a bunch of money, I'm not, I'm making minimum wage, why am I gonna bust my butt for this organization when I don't see any of it? So I think it, it comes down to that component when you're trying to build culture, trying to align that culture with the, the types of company the companies you're trying to attract as a as a as a client, um, and they have to marry up. And when they do, you see that explosive growth and you see that sustainability. Talking about culture and um, transitioning a bit here from what we were just talking about, but um, attracting talent and. How do you track how do you track top talent or just talent in general? It doesn't have to be like elite top talent, but just most talent has jobs currently. It seems like if you're good at what you do, you probably have a job. And if 
do you do you think it's as a as a strategy going forward or or what you've seen worked at, with your experience um is it better to go after somebody with less experience that you can get and then build them up and develop or do you like going after established talent paying more um and then how do you attract somebody that's happy in their role to come work for your company that's kind of a big question but yeah the whole the the whole idea of attracting talent is front and center i think for every organization right now i i saw a report the other day that uh, you know, we have millions more job opportunities out there than we have people in the workforce to fill them. And so company, I think, I don't know any company right now that isn't struggling to find people, talent, whether it's top talent or just good talent. Um, and so I think, and every organization is going to be a little bit different on how they want to go about doing this. I, I do think it is about understanding what matters most to you as a, as a, as a company. Right. And, and I don't think it's an either or when it comes to either hiring entry level and training them up and, 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 uh, or hiring experienced people that have a technical skill that you need and paying them top dollar. I think it's a both and in most organizations, uh, in our organization, one of our philosophies is to be able to create opportunities for people to grow and so as much as possible, we are going to hire and train and develop people so that they can grow into particularly management and leadership roles. But there isn't always a, there's a strategic side to that sometimes where you need that skill set that nobody has in your organization. And so that might mean you're hiring somebody at a management or a leadership level because they have that skill set. The, the key in doing so is to ensure that that person has the same amount of value when it comes to the culture that you have as it does the skill set. Where a lot of companies uh, struggle when it comes to talent and retention is they're fixated on on one or the other, right? It's not, again, both and. So they're looking for a skill set. Well, they got to have this kind of experience. They have to have this kind of degree. They have to have whatever that is. And they don't even ask questions around personality fit how does that, how, what's their philosophy on what they value the most? And does that align with the organization, what we offer the most? And, and likewise, you can hire great people who you love and you, and, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times you sit around a table after an interview and go, I really like that person. Well, that's wonderful. Can you, can they do the job and can they fit on your team? Well, I, I don't, I guess I don't know. I just, I liked them. Oh, okay. Again, that's great. Do you want to go have a beer with them after work? That's great. Are they going to work on your team? And so that's that whole piece of, well, yeah, they fit our culture really well. Awesome. But can can they do the job? And if they're not able to do the job, then why are we hiring them, right? So, and I think it has to be a blend of both, right? You can't have somebody who is technically astute, but is going to piss everybody off in the organization or client facing and nobody wants to work with them. Likewise, you can't have an inept person doing a job, even as nice as they are, because the clients are going to complain about that too, and your coworkers are going to complain about it. So I think it really comes down to attracting the people who match as close as possible to those, both of those pieces. Now, I would always err on the side of hiring somebody who's a culture fit and is trainable. One of our culture fits, though, is curiosity. So if you are curious and you're willing to, to learn and grow, we can train you. 
So if they don't have a curiosity, we're probably not going to hire them in this organization because we're going to get frustrated with somebody who doesn't have a desire to ask the question, why? And, and, and so you can hire the best person who is technically astute at what they do, but if they don't have a curiosity about how our business operates, where they can grow in the organization, they're going to be as frustrated with us as we are with them. And so I think, and again, some organizations are going to be geared towards, we just need the top talent. We need technical skills, personality, and all those things don't actually matter in our organization. Okay, that's fine. Go hire those people and pay them top dollar. And that's great. And that culture probably works if they're hiring for that in every position they possibly can. I think the the, the attracting component of things right now, especially for that, the workforce that is out there, a lot of people, because of the pandemic, we've heard this whole great resignation thing, and we did a podcast uh, episode on this uh, you know, last year. It's real. There was a people re- resigned from their roles in droves. Some went to the gig economy, some started their own business, all because the world shifted on them. And they went, yeah, I haven't been happy in what I'm doing for years. Why am I doing it anymore, right? And so it reset things. So I think from an employer standpoint, that means that we have to dial in who we are as an organization more so than anything else because we are going to have to attract people who are currently working or have done things on their own. And and what's the incentive for somebody to move to a new organization if their only desire is to move because of money or because they're disgruntled with their organization where they're currently at? We need to ask the question, well, what's the environment like there and how does that compare to ours, right? Because if the same frustrations that they're having in the, in, in the organization they're in now they would face in my organization, I'm doing a disservice to them and to us to hire somebody like that. And so I think it becomes incumbent on us to know what we're looking for, why we're looking for it, and then how are we able to make sure that we find those people. And it it comes down to networking. You know, we have a lot of folks in our organization uh, who the best hires are referrals because we're never going to find the skill set outside of the people that you know. I always tell people, if you're hiring great people, they're going to know great people. I don't know too many high performers that hang out with people who are just kind of slugs, right? You just kind of, oh, I'm just going to show up and do my job. I don't know very many people that, that, that that's who they hang out with and know regularly. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to create incentives around that. We have an incentive for sign-on bonuses and, uh, and, and retention bonuses and all those kinds of things. That's monetary. But we also want to create a culture in which you can hang out with the people you like and you want to hang out and you want to do good work with because you challenge each other to raise the, the bar every day. Um, and so I think that's one and tried and true way of doing it. I, I know big organizations who have great internship programs. So they're out at the, at the colleges every spring, uh, you know, beginning of, of winter and spring and hiring all these interns in and, and they're hiring a bunch of those people. I was in an organization years ago that that's what we did. We hired, we didn't hire anybody with experience. We hired everybody that had a college degree and meet, met our criteria for the type of person that we were looking for. We trained them on the skills. We found that to be the best way to grow our organization. Hiring people from the, from other competing companies was a disaster for us. We tried it. It didn't work. And so we found what worked for us. I think in this organization uh, that we're that, that I'm in today, it's a blend of both of those. Finding people who are attracted by this. You know, I did a, a new higher orientation about a month and a half ago. 
And as I'm going through it and we're talking about our culture and reinforcing all the things we talked about in the interview, uh, I stopped and asked the person, so why us? And she said, because of the culture. It was something that I knew I wanted to be a part of. The job was great. The job was is exciting for her, but it was the company itself that was the, was the thing that 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 stuck out to her. And I just had this big smile on my face, like, "Yep, that's what we're we're aiming for." And it, and so, I think it's it it really does come down to that type of understanding of what we're trying to accomplish when we're hiring people. This might be an abstract question. I'll try to say it clearly. As far as the great resignation and how people resigned, do you think it's just a matter of poor fits? And I saw some stat where it was like 50% of Americans are not satisfied with their work. And is does that come down to the puzzle pieces just aren't, it's just, you know, not a good fit? Or is it because the roles, like it wouldn't matter who would be in that role. The role just isn't fulfilling and ultimately, like, does that role need to exist? I think it's a great question. And, and I think so I think the the whole idea of the disengagement number as a percentage of employees has has been astronomically high for decades. Like this is not something that's brand new. I think the pandemic exasperated it. People were frustrated with life in general. And their work environment just became much more heightened around this. They also saw people probably close to them or at least around them that were dying because of, uh, of the pandemic. And I think it scared people. It also shocked them into, well, what am I doing this for anymore, right? There was no meaning behind it. So I do think at times organizations, and this happened in the 80s and 90s and probably even into the dot-com bubble in 2000s, People just went, well, we're going to do one for one. We need we need to increase production, so we're just going to keep hiring people. You know, there there used to be in organizations you'd have um, you would have an accounting and finance department, and you'd have five people doing the same job. That could have been done with two people, but they they either didn't have the right two people, or they just thought, well, we got money, we're we just need to keep expanding our 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 capacity. And then what would happen is you'd contract because you'd hit a bubble where there wasn't any revenue coming in. People got spooked because there was a potential recession. And what did companies do? They they yo-yo back and forth. We're going to ramp up and hire a bunch of people. Then we're going to cut the you know cut people. And so organizations really realized well we should be able to do more with less. Every time there's a massive resignation of either people. In this case, it was em- employees leaving employers. But there was no loyalty that to that either. You know, the days of people working for an organization for 30 years don't exist very much anymore. There are pockets of industries that do that and great companies that people do that. But by and large, that isn't the case anymore. And so people are are, are leaving jobs. Not It's the old saying, people don't leave their, their companies, they leave their bosses, right? And I would argue it's the same thing when it comes to culture. People are disgruntled in their work, not necessarily because of the work. That's true in some cases, but not as many as people would 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 make it out to be sometimes, especially employers. It isn't always the job. Most of the time, it's the coworkers, it's the environment, it's their boss. It's that type of culture, right? If I don't, it, it, and, and so being able to understand that is really going to be key 
in order for us to retain the right people. So I think that there is a big basis around, well, if the employer is not loyal to me, they're going to cut me the minute that that profits are down or earnings are, are, are sharply down and my stock price goes down, whatever the, whatever that is. It could be a privately held company and the ownership wants to take more money every year and so they're going to cut people or not hire. The, there's been a groundswell of this for decades. You know, when, they, when we had the big re, uh, recession uh, with the housing bubble, in 2008, 2009, a lot of companies across industries, because it just didn't hit the real estate industry, it, it, it had a downhill effect everywhere. Then companies went, well, we're not going to hire back, so we're just going to expect people to do more with less. Well, you do that over and over again, and people were not seeing raises. They were not seeing at least raises that kept up with inflation and, and, and the cost of living. So if all of these factors are creating an environment where it's like, well, why am I working so hard if I don't actually have the benefit of a loyalty from the employer, then you're creating this whole groundswell of reasons that people would just go, I'm out. And so you can only ask so much of people and the burnout effect hit. And I think it hit in this great resignation at a much higher rate than people anticipated I would argue those companies that lost a lot of people during that time that were not impacted directly by the pandemic, like the re, the restaurant industries and, and the service industries, they lost people because their culture sucked before that. And it just got magnified because people were like, yeah, I'm not going to, no, I can't do this anymore. And so that's where, where for, for, for us as an organization, we're building into that as a culture that people want to be attracted to for the right reasons. We pay competitively, yes. Are we at the top end of our industry? Probably not. Are we at the bottom end of our industry? No, I know we're not. We're probably somewhere in the middle. But we try to create an environment where where people are excited to come to work every day, mm. even on those days where the work just sucks. I think that's a good place to wrap up. How do you feel about anything else that uh, that's on your mind or you want to add? Well, I think when you talk about all of these pieces, right, whether it is how are managers engaging with their people for conflict or how uh, employers are creating a, a, an employer brand where people are attracted to the organization, uh, all of the topics that we talked about, it comes down to having a very clear philosophy of what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And so I would challenge leaders in any organization take the time to articulate what it is you're trying to accomplish. Not the work that's being done, not the product or services that you're offering. That, quite frankly, is, should be fairly easy for people, especially if they're, they're good at what they do. But why would people want to work with us? Why would people want to work for us? And as leaders, if we can't answer those questions, we need to dig in. We need to understand that. And then we have to constantly keep a pulse on it. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not per a perfect science, and not everybody in your organization is going to be a high performer or loving this place with great loyalty. Some people go to work because they have great hobbies outside that cost a lot of money, and they want to fund those. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But and, and, and when they leave their job, whatever time of day that is, they literally leave their job. They don't check their phones at night. They don't work on weekends. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. So don't get me wrong by saying that, that it has to be all-consuming or that, that employers need to uh, have, again, that one or the other. It really is about understanding your culture. 
Who do you want to be as an organization? And I think once you start to define that, you will find that you will both attract clients and employees who are loyal to whatever it is that you are, uh, are, are creating as a culture. And in my mind, there are toxic cultures, but I would also argue that in some cases, what we would view as toxic because of our culture works for somebody else, right? And so it's not as if, now don't get me wrong, this is not those places that are abusive to people, either in employment practices or what have you, you know, um, doing illegal things or those kinds of kinds of scenarios. But just because they have, may have an environment where they are hard charging, they are cutthroat, it is really about that, that competition at all costs, it doesn't mean it's a, it's a bad culture. It just means you better find people who excel in that culture because the people who are going for this experience and that's not the experience they're looking for, yeah, they're going to hate it because it doesn't meet what their needs are as, a, as an employee. Just like coming in here, we talk a lot about our culture and our core values and we lead with that. If somebody doesn't care about those things, they're going to hate this place because that's what we talk about. That's what we care about. And they might be really good at their work, but they're going to be like, dude, what are we doing? Like if, if, if I tell that story about saran wrapping somebody's office or putting balloons in their office and they think, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If somebody did that in my office, I'd be, well, then don't sign up for any jobs that we have on our, on our careers page right now, by the way, because you're going to, you're not going to like that. Or, Hey, why do you have these little pellet guns that are with the little foam ammo or whatever? Right. If you don't like those environments of like, man, that's just uncomfortable for me. Again, don't sign up for us. That's who we are. We're just goofy enough and weird enough where some people really get attracted to that. And other people go, nope, I'm pretty much straight up and down here. I'm just coming in to do my work. I don't want anybody to disturb me or, or any of those things. If you don't like the idea that there sounds like there's fireworks going off in your building because we're popping balloons at 830 in the morning, if that's going to drive you nuts, again, we're not the right culture for you. And I think that's the, the message that every organization needs to have. It's not a right or wrong culture. It's your culture. Develop it the way you want it. And then embrace what you can get out of the people who are a part of that because they're going to give you their best when, they're, when they are most engaged with what they're doing and what the organization builds into them. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know who wouldn't want to be playing around with Nerf guns at work. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of them out there, but I, you know, I don't want to know those, those companies. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, John, that uh, that was awesome and enjoyed that conversation. So thank you very much. And um, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.